Well, good morning again to everybody, and uh, <clears throat> again, uh, I'll try to bring some things to you from God's Word. Hope you'll pray for me and for one another uh, during this time that we're gathered together. Over the last couple of times that I've spoken here, uh, I've tried to take on a, a subject of what is God's vision for the church. Uh, I think it's important for us to know that. Uh, if we, uh, you know, as we think about serving the Lord, serving the Lord is the, at this place. Uh, we find all throughout the New Testament scriptures that uh, there were the Apostle Paul and Peter and others of the New Testament apostles were going about establishing churches. Uh, they would go into a town and they, they would preach uh, in the typically go in uh, Paul's practice, typically go into the synagogue, uh, the local Jewish assembly and preach there, uh, but then began to preach outside of there. They would ordain elders uh, in, in every city uh, and, and begin to establish a church. And uh, we find him writing letters back to the churches of Corinth and Ephesians and or Ephesus and, and Philippi and all those places. So uh, the church in the uh, New Testament, uh, uh, <clears throat> Jesus Christ is the central theme. Don't ever forget that. Uh, but then the church's role in serving Jesus Christ and then how we serve each other in the, in the community that we're living in and how do we, uh, how do, we do that. Uh, I think over the last uh, year, no, two years, Brother Adams has been going through the book of Matthew with us and uh, teaching us the doctrines and teachings of Jesus Christ as laid out in the Gospels. And so uh, there's much for us to, to gain from all of that. Thank you, Sister Sharon. And uh, as, we, as we look at God's Word, it, it occurred to me that uh, much like many of the organizations that, uh, that many of us have worked at over the years, most of them have some type of vision statement of what it is they want to do and where they want to go. What they want to be is like, we used to say a vision statement sometimes, like, what do you want to be when you grow up, uh, you know, when you get to, uh, to maturity? Well, uh, if we look in, uh, here, here in, the, in the Word of God, uh, then we shouldn't be asking what is our vision for the church because, you know, we could have it pretty messed up. Uh, and I think maybe some people might have it a little messed up today, but then maybe we haven't done as good a job here as we should have either in figuring out what it is that uh, God would desire for our churches to be. Uh, Y'all have heard this said a hundred times, but when we think about what should a church be, then that gets back to what should we be? Because the church is us. Uh, the church is not the building. The church is not uh, some name or organization. The church is the members of the body that are sitting here today uh, and those that maybe you're not sitting here today. Uh, but the, it's made up of the members. It's the members of the body. And so uh, if we want to know what's God's vision for the church, then we're really asking what's God's vision for us. And, uh, and so uh, as we go through this and as we've been going through this for a couple of weeks, uh, then uh I can see this thing lasting quite a while, just to be honest with you. Uh, because as we get into it this morning, one of the things that I mentioned to you, uh, we talked about here over the last few weeks, there are a couple of things that can hinder a church and uh, hinder us uh, as individuals spiritually. Uh, one of those things that we find laid out in scriptures that can be a great hindrance to us is unbelief. 
uh, we find we're uh, in the uh, book of Matthew and Mark. Brother Adam, we're talking to me and I, he and I were talking about this the other night. Uh, even, uh, no, that was me and Brother Paul Blair. Ha! Uh, we were talking on the phone. Uh, but one of the things that can hinder us is unbelief. Uh, the Bible tells us that Jesus would not or could not, in a couple of different places, do any mighty works in the city of Nazareth, his hometown, because of their unbelief. Uh, in other words, he chose not to do any mighty works. It wasn't that God himself was incapable of doing mighty works. Uh, there were many cases where, uh, whether we talk about J. Iris' daughter or other cases that we find out throughout scriptures, uh, it's not that God's not able to do mighty works. He chose not to do mighty works. And so uh, the children of Israel didn't enter, were not allowed to enter into Canaan's land. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, they did not enter in because of their unbelief. Uh, uh, again, remind the congregations, it, it was not that they did not believe in God. Uh, they did not believe God. They did not believe what he said he, he would do in, in delivering them. And so I think sometimes maybe one of our, one of our uh, failings can be is that we, don't, we fall off into unbelief and not that we don't believe in God. We're here. I know that we believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior. Most of us have professed that and confessed that and when we came forth to be, become members and join the church. Uh, but if we don't believe what God's Word says about what He will do and can do for us, whether it's as a church or as families or as parents or as members, then we're missing out on a great the great benefits of God's word and being able to walk by faith and trusting him in times when we don't see the answer, <clears throat> uh, don't see, see what the solution is out there, just trusting God and following after his precepts and his word and trusting that God's word is, is true and that it's right and that if we follow it, there will be a blessing for us in doing that, uh, whether we can actually see it with our natural eyes or not. And that's the trouble a lot of times is we like to walk by sight and not by faith faith, uh, where the Bible says walk by faith and not by sight. And so without, uh, without faith, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So some of the hindrances that we talked about over the last uh, few weeks was the fact unbelief and a lack of faith will cause God's church God's people to not trust him, to not follow after him, not cling to him. And it doesn't matter whether his brother Adam preached last Sunday afternoon. And if y'all missed it, I just tell you, you missed it. He preached a wonderful sermon last Sunday afternoon. Uh, and so, so, so if you don't stay, sometimes you miss it, you know. Uh, but uh, uh, just a wonderful sermon in talking about how, you know, it's possible with God. All things are possible with God. Uh, doesn't say all things will happen uh, because, of, because of God, but all things are possible. And so uh, trusting in God, following after him, if you believe all things are possible because God may just perhaps, according to his will, bless us in those, in those events. So uh, unbelief and lack, of, or fa you know, lack of, of belief and lack of faith can hinder us as God's people. Uh, and then we began to want to talk about what are a couple of the metaphors that are laid out in, in, the, in the Word of God. We turned to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 last, uh, last week and kind of went through 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 kind of as an overview. Uh, there, was, there were problems at the church at Corinth. Uh, they weren't together. Uh, and uh, and that's, uh, that's one of the hinge points of a, 
uh, of God's vision, uh, what God's vision for the church is, is that we will be together in one mind, in one accord, in one spirit. Uh, you can look at this, and I'll turn over there real quickly as a part of, of saying this. But if we turn to Acts chapter 2 for just a moment before we begin into 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But if we turn to Acts chapter 2, uh, when the, uh, the New Testament church was launched there that day on the day of Pentecost, and I say launched out because the church had been established by Jesus Christ and by the apostles. But on the day of Pentecost, it, they preached, uh, Peter preached that wonderful message there as they were endowed by the Spirit of God. Uh, as the, the Spirit of God uh, was lighted upon them as cloven tongues of fire. And Peter preached with the mighty, with the mighty power of the Spirit of God that day. Uh, and as he did that, the Bible, the Bible tells us that uh, many people were pricked in their hearts and wanted to know, men and brethren what should we do <laughs> I'm telling you the gospel message ought to prick us in the hearts uh, and cause us to cry out in our, from our very depth of our being Master, what would you have me do? Uh, that's the thing. That, that's what happened to Jesus, uh, to the Apostle Paul when Jesus Christ met him on the road to Damascus. Uh, Lord, what would you have me to do? Uh, I think that becomes a common theme for us to say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Uh, what would you have us to do in serving you and serving the Master? What would you have us to do? Uh, and so as they were uh, pricked and they, were, they said, uh, the Peter said to them that day, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So uh, there's a promise that's been given to the called children of God that in following after him, repenting and being baptized, there's a blessing that comes from that in mind your in mind your life. And we actually receive the promise, I think, of the Holy Ghost. And what is that promise? That's an assurance down within inside of ourselves, I believe, uh, that uh, uh, that heaven's our home, that this world is not, uh, and that, uh, that we can walk confidently through this old life uh, facing the troubles, the trials, the problems, uh, the, the tribulations that all of us are going to face in this life, being able to face it and bear up in the face of all the trouble that we have, uh, knowing that God is with us and that uh, this is not forever. Uh, the grave is not the end, that there's a world that lies beyond this one. So there's a great promise given to us in that. And with many other words, it said in verse 40, he did testify and exhort saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. That message, to, that the message that Peter preached that day is just as pertinent today as it was 2,000 years ago. Uh, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Don't fall out here into all the pitfalls of this world and ruin your life, ruin your witness, ruin your, ruin your service to God. Uh, but save yourselves from this uh, ungodly, untoward generation that, uh, that lives around us even today. And they then they... That gladly received, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly. And here's what I wanted to get to. So, so here's what they did, uh, beginning to, with that message. Then they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So part of what we're to do is to hear the teachings of the apostles, uh, to hear the teachings of the prophets, to hear the teaching of, of the gifts that God has given to the church. 
And so they, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. I'll tell you, uh, we get together here and a lot of times we spend time in the, in the, uh, uh, you could call it a fellowship hall, I guess, or you could call it the lunchroom area. Uh, but we sit around the table and we visit with each other and we share experiences with each other. And sometimes we cry on each other and sometimes we hold each other up. Uh, but that fellowship time is important to God's people. Uh, whether we, whether you do it like we do sometimes on Wednesday nights with a meal, uh, and get together and visit with each other, uh, and then, uh, they come in and, and have Bible study, or whether it's like we do on, uh, Sundays where we get together a lot of times we sit around the table in fellowship fellowship is a part of what the body of christ needs uh, we need to be uh the best friends with each other for one thing uh my best friends need to be those of the household of god uh, and uh, because when i need help and i need uh, support uh that's the folks that are going to help me i m- me and my wife experienced it this week and i i uh, tried to thank all of y'all here on wednesday night and she had a card read uh, from us today but I'll tell you, in the time of our trial and the loss of a family member this week, y'all held us up. And that's what we're to do for each other uh, uh, during times of trouble and trial is support each other and help each other. So they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayers. Uh, I, I've told Brother Adam, uh, I mentioned this to y'all as a church, I think, or, or some uh, back several Sundays ago. Uh, but Brother Adam and I have talked a little bit on at least one Wednesday night, whether we spend the whole Wednesday night or not, uh, I want us to begin to have a, a particular prayer time where we're praying for the church. We need to be praying for this body. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be praying for how, what we should be doing and how we should be guided. And uh, we need, you know, our numbers are shrinking. That's not a revelation when I tell you all that. Uh, And we can grow, we can grow uh, stronger and deeper in God's word. I think, I hope we are. And I trust that we are through the preaching of God's word. We need to be praying for this church. Uh, I'm looking at my family, my grandchildren, and some of these other young people that are here in this body. Uh, I trust that this church will be here in their lifetime. Uh, uh, but if we don't have find uh, what we should be doing and find the blessings of God for us as a body, uh, the church will disappear, friends. Uh, the church can go away. Uh, uh, many of the churches that we find laid out in the Old Testament scriptures, uh, whether it be Ephesus or Philippi, you know there's not churches in Ephesus and Philippi anymore. Why? Because somewhere somebody failed to be faithful uh, to the service of God, whether it's evangelizing, uh, whether it's spreading the gospel with it, sharing it with our friends and telling them somewhere they failed somewhere along the way. Maybe it was unbelief. Maybe it was a lack of faith. I don't know. Uh, uh, maybe it was poor preaching. Maybe that's a problem, and y'all can correct that. I, I can step off the scene. Uh, but uh, somewhere along the way, the, the church body needs to get uh, excited and be in prayer and ask God to open up doors for things that we need to be doing and opportunities to share the gospel within this community. God's, God's opened up some doors for some of us to go to Kenya and Tanzania. But I'll tell you, our church is not, uh, Zion's Rest Church is not growing because of Brother Adam and I going to Tanzania and Kenya. It'll open because of opportunities we get right here in this community. And uh, so anyway, that's, uh, uh, that's some, some reason why I think we need to know what is God's vision for the church. Well, one of the things that talks about here, uh, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. 
uh, doctrine and teaching is an important part of God's uh, God's church, but it's not the only thing. Uh, uh, I think sometimes we've uh, we've centered in so much and so long on doctrine, uh, we fail to teach the other things that God's people need to be doing. And so uh, uh, we can we can correct some of that here, and maybe you'll get the benefit of it, whether I live to see it or not. Uh, but somewhere along the way, maybe we'll get the benefit of of the doctrine, the fellowship, breaking of bread. And prayer. I think we need to be having more of a time of prayer. So let's turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2. Uh, and uh, we'll get over into chapter 3. Uh, again, just I'll give you a, a, the, the real fast overview of three uh, of, two, of 1 and 2. They were, they were not together at the church at Corinth. Uh, they, were, they had a problem, a lack of unity. Some were saying they were Paul. Some were saying they were Apollos. Some were of Jesus Christ. To the point that uh, Paul even said, I thank God I baptized none of you except uh, the house of Chloe and maybe one or two others that he said he baptized there. Uh, but the problem was they were all doing their own thing. You ever heard of that today? Man, I want to do my own thing. Everybody was doing their own thing. When they got together at church, uh, uh, some were saying they were Paul, some were Apollos. Some, they all had their own prayers, their own songs, their own preaching. Uh, they were speaking in different tongues. They weren't together. They weren't unified. And so uh, Paul begins to address that to them here in this, uh, in this letter uh, and talking about uh, the, other, the other problem they had was they weren't spiritual. He said, I speak to you as, a, as to carnal and not spiritual. Why? Well, let's, let's read a little bit of that there at the end of chapter 2. And we'll just uh, uh, look, look at that again. Uh, he begins to tell them, verse 11, For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. So it's impossible for us to know spiritual things without spiritual life. Uh, and he says, uh, and I think I'll carry it even further than that. Uh, if you've been born again to the Spirit of God, but you spend more of your time thinking about carnal things than you do about spiritual things, then you'll not be a spirit. You'll not be a very spiritual person. You'll be more carnally minded. You know, the Apostle Paul addressed this in Romans eight: to be carnally minded is death; to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Uh, so uh, we can be carnally minded and not spiritually minded and lose the benefits and the joys of our salvation. So now in verse 12, he says, Now we receive not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given us of God. Why did God give you a spiritual nature? So that you might know the things that God had given to you. So that you might know that you've been saved by His grace. So that you might know you've been saved by the death, burial, uh, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He gave us His spirit so we would know that. He didn't have to do it, right? So why did he do it? He did it so that we might know the things which God has freely given us, which things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. I want to, we want to compare spiritual things, not always carnal things. Sometimes we give carnal examples because that makes more sense to everybody, right? We talk about teaching and farming and all those kind of things, or... Fishing and farming, uh, fishing, farming, all those types of examples that are given in Scripture. Jesus did that in his teaching, and we do that too. But he says, the things that we speak not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So, 
uh, I guess one of the things, uh, and I'll read the rest of that, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So one of the things that I would say to us here this morning, I'm talking to me, to you, to us, all of us here this morning, is that as we come together in God's church, we have to engage our spiritual minds, right? Uh, uh, What God calls upon us here is not to engage your carnal mind, engage your spiritual mind. Think about, you know, thinking about Christ high and lifted up, Christ sitting on the right hand of the throne of God. Just those thoughts are spiritual thoughts. That's not a carnal thought that you're having. So when we begin to engage the great creator of of all things, uh, we're engaging our spiritual minds and praising him and worshiping him, uh, the one that we cannot see but that we know it exist, that begins to engage our spiritual thoughts. So he says, I, brethren, would not speak unto you as spiritual. Uh, oh, let's read that correctly. Chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, and, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. I mean, buddy... Today we talk about well, let's don't offend the body. You know, let's don't offend anybody. Uh, don't be offended by this or that or the other. And Paul comes out and says, "I couldn't speak to you spiritually, but I had to speak to you carnally. I even had to talk to you like babes in Christ. Why? Because you hadn't grown up. Wow, you talking about hammering somebody? <laughs> yeah, I." Oh. Bong. I mean, he comes right in and just lays it out. I couldn't talk to you like spiritual people. And he says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. <laughs> Boy, talking about putting, you know, offending somebody. I, I, I have to speak to you like carnal and like babes, and I gave you milk and not meat because you weren't able to take it. And he says, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envy, strife, and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men wow they were fighting they were fussing they were striving with each other and he says the evidence is you're carnally minded not spiritually minded the church is to come together in unity uh you know i think and i know i mentioned this last sunday i'll mention it again uh this sunday i may mention it some more over the course of many months uh whatever uh but when jesus says told his apostles in that last sermon there in john 13 14 15 and 16 uh, and told them as he was walking to the garden of gethsemane a new commandment i give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, and by this shall all men know or the, that you are my disciples indeed. Why? Because you have love one to another. I tell you, some, the mark of the New Testament church is to be our love for one another, and, and when we love one another, we will be more unified. I, and, and oh, let me just say this I'm not saying we're not. I'm exhorting you, let's, let's set that as a marker in our minds. Why? Because. Satan's going to try to come and tear tear down. Satan's going to try to destroy. And when we know that we that God's marker for us is, let's love one another. Let's not let the troubles, the trials, the problems of this family or that family or this person or that person cause us to withdraw from each other. But let it let us draw together and love one another as as Christ loved us and. He loved us in spite of who we were, right? Not because of who we were. So he tells us here, uh, he says, For ye are yet carnal, uh, for where is it... Uh 
For whereas there is among you envy, strife, and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one... Here's, the, here's one of the evidences, right? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Paulus, and are ye not carnal? <laughs> you know, when we come here this morning... Uh, and I, you know, and I say this uh, uh, kind of critically of us sometimes, uh, we ought to be saying, who are we? Uh, you know, a lot of times, well, we're, we're primitive Baptists. Well, I'm, we're disciples of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'll tell you, I, that ought to be what our marker is this morning. We're disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. That ought to be our highest elevated office thinking about and saying, we're servants of the king and we're disciples of his. We're not following, not to, I'm not of Paul, I'm not of Paulus. Are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? Then he goes on to ask in verse 5, who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers whom ye believe even as the Lord gave to every man. He said, they're just servants. They're just servants that preach the gospel to you and you believed it, they ministered you, and their gifts came from God. He says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So if you're going to look and say, well, uh, you know, so many joined under this brother and so many joined under this brother, so what? <laughs> they're just ministers. One, one uh, planted, another watered, God gives the increase. Uh, but he that planteth and he that watereth are one. They're working together, Right? The, the, the waterer and the planter, they're all just working together. If you were planting a garden here this morning and one of you went out, uh, when I was a kid, I think uh, Daddy wasn't sure I could plant the tomato plants just right. You know, they had to be planted a certain depth and just, you know, turn, you know, all that had to be. So Daddy would plant them, but he'd let me do the watering. I'd come along to make sure they were that hole was really covered up with good with water after we got them planted so that they wouldn't wilt overnight because usually you're not planting during a rainstorm and you go out we'd go out and get the <laughs> uh, so so sometimes we'd go out there and we'd plant and we'd water man as those things would continue God would bring the watering in there and we'd go out and fertilize along through there God gave the increase right. Uh, so he tells us here, uh, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Uh, we need to be making sure our focus here is on God. Our focus is on Jesus Christ. If we're blessed in our lives, if you're blessed in your life, if you're blessed in yours, uh, if God has been good to you, if you can say God has been good to you in your life, he's the one that gets the praise, right? Uh, it's well, yeah, but I attend church every Sunday. Well, so what? I mean, I, I think that's great. Uh, uh, we all ought to be here every Sunday, uh, uh, sitting assembled, hearing the message and searching for those things. But I'll tell you what, if you're blessed, it's God that gets the praise and the honor and the glory. So, uh, for we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry. I think I said that last week, or whatever that means, tillage or broken ground. We're just God's field, right? For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Here's where we get into the first of the two metaphors that I'm going to use uh, in talking about the, uh, about the church. What's God's vision for the church? Well, two of the metaphors that he gives in the, in the word of God for the church One's a building, uh, and we'll look at that here this morning. He says, For ye are God's building, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So he, he begins to tell us, uh, uh, Paul says, I came in and I laid the foundation. Other men came and added on to the foundation. Now we'll find out uh, as we read on down through here, Jesus Christ 
is the foundation. He is the chief cornerstone. He's the rock which the builders rejected. Uh, he is the cornerstone in the place where we begin not only our building, but our lives and our church. Everything's founded on him. Why? Because he's the one that came and died for us. Uh, he's the one that redeemed us by his blood. Uh, he's the one that saved us uh, uh, from, from uh, eternal woe and misery uh, because of his death, because of his blood, and because of his resurrection. Uh, we're promised a home in heaven as God's children. Uh, uh, if he died for us, and if we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, we're assured, my friends, of that home uh, in heaven. And so he's the foundation. He's the one that we build everything else on. He says, I've laid the foundation, verse 10, another buildeth thereon, but let every man, t- man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. We need to be careful what we're adding, uh, what we're putting on God's building, right? And so as, as the building of Christ, he says, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. So you can, boy, you just got a, a wide variety of, uh, of things that you can use there to build on this foundation. Every man's work shall be made fa- manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is, right? So he says, every man builds their own, whether it's wood, hay, stubble, gold, uh, precious stones, uh, hay, stubble, whatever it is. He says, but when the fire comes, when the trials of life come, it's going to prove what kind of building you built upon the foundation. The foundation is good. The foundation is perfect. Uh, The foundation is Jesus Christ. But how are we building on that foundation. How? What are you? What are you building your life on? You know, I I, I was going to use this maybe at kind of a different point, but I'll turn over there now. And you know, this if it doesn't ring a bell with you, it should. But I think most of you should think about Matthew chapter seven when we start thinking about uh, building on this foundation. Jesus Christ Himself uh, gave this example in verse uh, beginning with verse twenty four of Matthew seven. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Uh, Important to listen to this, uh, what he says. Who is the wise man? Here is the wise man. And who is uh, Jesus who says, I will liken him unto a wise man. Is who hears his sayings and does them. Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man. Uh, so uh, he says, why? Because uh, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. I'm telling you, and I don't have to tell you this, but uh, I, I mean, I want to tell you like I'm informing you of something you don't know. I mean, any of us that have lived more than, a, more than a few years here in this life, no trouble is coming to our lives. Uh, whether, it's, uh, whether it's death, uh, whether it's cancer, uh, whether it's uh, just a fuss and a fight and an argument and some kind of other trouble that's going on, or fusses between families, fusses between church members, trials with our children, trials with, uh, of other kinds that come into our lives, 
Trouble's coming, and when and if your house is not built on a good, sure foundation upon a rock, and that rock, I believe, is Jesus Christ, as we've already said and given example there from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you're not founded on that rock when the winds come and when the storms blow and when the waves crash, it'll just, it'll, it'll knock the foundation, it'll knock your foundation out from under you, and you'll just, you'll just ball up and then, and be lost. But I tell you, when you've built your house on a foundation that's true, uh, that's sure, that cannot be washed away, uh, it, you know, the storms of life are going to come. It, it's, that's without question. It's how do you bear up under the storm? How is it? How do you bear up when the storms come? Uh, do you let it knock you down because you didn't build on it right? Was it wood, hay, and stubble, or was it gold and precious stones that you built laid on this foundation? So he says, uh, the rains descended. The verse twenty-five of Matthew seven: the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Uh, and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, I will liken him unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. You know what? You know, if you think about this, I don't know that I've ever used this example in talking about this portion of Scripture. But you know, it says, great was the fall of the house that was built on sand. Why? Uh, well, I think because he's talking about the kingdom examples and examples of God's children and God's families in your house and my house, uh, our household, our families. Do you know one of the greatest things that people think is a great fall when they see somebody that professes to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ? When they see you fall. When they see that house fall, when they see this family fall, everybody points and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, they were, they, they, they were part of the church and they were part of this or part of that. Yeah, look at them, boy. Look at how they handle this when trouble comes into their life. Uh, well, if you're not built upon the rock... Uh, if you're built, you're, you're, a, you're a house of God, you're a, a child of God, but you've built your life on unstable things. You're not trusting him. You're not having faith in him. You're not following after him. And you're not rooted and grounded in the doctrines and teachings of the apostles so that when troubles come, you know how to face it. I tell you, your house will fall. And great will be the fall of it. So he gives us these words. For the foundation can no man lay. I'm back at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 now. For he says, For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if a man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. There's going to be a blessing for people that built upon the sure foundation and you build the right way. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So, uh, you know, you're going to be, uh, if you're getting into trials and troubles, uh, it's going to prove out what you've built upon. But he says, you know what? Even the fire that burns up, the wood and the hay and stubble, sometimes leaves you to the point where you have nothing else there. But, you know, have you ever seen people get to the point and say, 
There's nothing else I can do now but lean upon the Lord. <laughs> well, I should have been leaning on the Lord all along. I shouldn't have to wait till everything's burned up, all my wooden head stubble or tore down, which I've built my life upon. All the things of this world that I thought were so important to me, I shouldn't wait till all that gets burned up and say, boy, I've got nothing left now. I guess I better trust the Lord from now on. Yeah, I should have been trusting Him all along and I wouldn't have built my house so much on wooden head stubble and things that perish in this old world. So uh, if a man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Do you not? Do we not know that we are God's temple? Over oh, in the in the Old Testament, as we've been studying through Exodus and Leviticus on Wednesday nights, and he's been talking about building the tabernacle and building the tabernacle, and he goes on and tells us, uh, "You you are the temple of God." Why? Just like uh, in Leviticus, it was telling us, and Brother Adam taught through Leviticus about how he says you need to make your sacrifices. You need to do this. You need to do this. Why? So that God's presence would be with them as a people. And when when they had done everything that Moses commanded, boy, the presence of God came down like a like a fire upon that old tabernacle and lit up the whole place and shined there around about them. And they they wanted to be if they wanted to be in the presence of God's uh, spirit and God's uh, God's presence, however you want to say that. If they wanted to be able to draw close to Him, they had to have, have uh, followed after the thing of the law so that they would be considered to be holy so they could be in the presence of a holy God. Now Paul gets here in 1 Corinthians and tells us, uh, know ye not that ye are the temple of God. Why? That the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. When you're born again of the Spirit of God, God dwells in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy for the temple of God is holy, which ye are. Which temple ye are. So this is a, this is a holy place that God has placed within us. He says, take care of it. Treat it right. Be ye holy. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Sometimes we get to thinking we're so smart in the things of this world that we're actually not smart in the things of God. And I think that becomes a problem for us. We become too caught up in our own uh, in our own learning, our own knowledge. Sometimes doing that, we forget how uh, the, the wisdom of this world is made foolishness. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He takes the wise in their own craftiness, and again the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore let no man glory in men. Well, we ought, probably ought to underline that. Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours and ye are Christ and Christ is God. So uh, this whole building here, it's important for us to make sure we build upon the rock of Jesus Christ and that he is our sure foundation. Let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to get through these building examples here somehow this morning uh, so we can go on to the body examples uh, uh, later. In Ephesians chapter 2, uh, again, he's written a whole doctrinal sermon, if you want to call it that, but a whole uh, uh, salvation-type uh, writing in chapters 1 and beginning in chapter 2. And then he, then he begins to address the fact there are Jews and Gentiles here at Ephesus, and he says, you're all one body. 
again, uh, here the division at Ephesus, and I won't say it was a true division, but you had mixed people there as far as Jew and Gentile. And he says, yeah, but you're all one in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, when we're, when we're looking at things of this world, uh, whether it's the church or whether we think about, I've said this before, you know, if we had an ethnically diverse congregation here this morning, it'd be great with me. Uh, it would be fine with me to have different races, different cultures, different people that all believed what we believe and were gathered together here and we were a unified body. What a glorious blessing that would be. Uh, but here at Ephesus, they had a mixed ethnic community, if you want to call it that, Jews and Gentiles. And Paul is, is writing to them and telling them, you know, the middle wall or partition between us has been knocked down. There was a time when uh, the Jews and the Gentiles didn't have anything to do with one another. But now seeing that we're all saved through the same blood, through the same resurrection, through the, through the same re- Redemption, the middle wall or petition that separated us has been knocked down uh, now. So he says, uh, verse 15 of Ephesians 2, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in the ordinances, for to make in himself twain one new man, so making peace. So God has brought the bodies together to worship together uh, with one another, that he might reconcile unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enemy. Enmity thereby. So, whatever in enmity or, uh, uh, if you want to call it uh, animosity, uh, arguments, uh, uh, strife, whatever it might have been, would have been between the Jew and the Gentile. He says it's been brought together in one body in Jesus Christ on the cross. He died for all of us at the same time. He didn't die one time for one group and another time for another group. He died all together in one body for for that group of people. So he says, uh, and came and preached peace uh, to you which were far off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Know therefore that ye are no more strangers and foreigners and fellow, fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So again, we're back to that same message he's given to Ephesus. Unity, togetherness, working together, being together. You're built upon the same foundation and Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So we're to be a building as a church, and then we're to be kind of individual buildings too of God. We're to be a temple, and then we're to be a temple when we're gathered together. We're a greater temple when we're gathered together. If Christ is in our presence, if Christ is in our beings, uh, gathered together, fitly framed together. I love that uh, because we, we begin to think about how building... Uh, I, I was down, uh, if this is recorded and Brother uh, Vaughn Winslet hears this, well, he will, or Brother Josh, maybe they will at least get a laugh out of this anyway. But I know I was down at Ebenezer Church down there a few years ago, and they were adding on a, a lunchroom area back behind their old building. And as they began to do that, they were trying to square the new building with the old building. They found the old building was 
out of square. It wasn't fitly framed together. And so it made it real difficult to try to get the floor and the walls lined up on each side. Uh, it was going to look kind of funny, you know, because the walls weren't lined up and how they had it all worked together. But the building wasn't fitly framed together. He tells us here that we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone and whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye are also built together of a habitation of God through the Spirit. So part of our job as a church and as a building, we got to figure out how to take every part. Every part's different, right? I'm different, you're different, we're different, you're different, you're different from this. But you know what? When God takes us and fitly frames us all together into one body, man, what a squared up building we can be, right? We can be all working together, laboring together, me doing my part. Maybe uh, maybe I'm a window. Maybe I'm just a window frame. Maybe I'm a maybe I'm a just I'm just a doorkeeper at the house of the Lord. Uh, maybe I'm just a greeter at the household of God that welcomes everybody in and greets everybody when they come in. But you know everybody has their part, everybody has their role, and it fitly frames together to make a glorious building for the, for God. And to his glory and to his honor when we're all just doing our, playing our part and doing our role and fitting together as God frames us together and remembering that we're built upon the sure foundation of Jesus Christ. It all starts with him. Uh, how can we do what we need to do if we're not built upon him? Let's turn over to 1 Peter uh, chapter, one, uh, chapter 2, I think it is. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll bring uh, some of these uh, remarks to a, to a close, I guess, uh, here this morning. But again, thinking about uh, if, if you think about this, we get we're getting God's vision for the church, and part of God's vision is uh, for us to be unified, and for us to all be working together, and to be of one mind and one accord, loving one another. And so He goes back to this constant theme of buildings and bodies and even a kingdom, and how, how they work. And if we can understand a building, or we can understand how a body works, uh, and how all the parts work together. Uh, you know, sometimes it's kind of interesting to think about this, and we'll get into this more ne- maybe next week, but uh, to think about the body. You know, there's so many things that you and I do in our, uh, that are parts of our body we don't even think about. I mean, are you sitting here thinking, now you'll do it now that I say this, but if before I said this, how many of y'all are sitting there this morning thinking, I need to make sure my heart's beating? No, no, don't have to worry about that. It just kind of, somehow it all just works, right? I, do you ever think about blinking your eyes? I mean, they just kind of it just kind of happens, right? I mean, there's so many things in our body that just work because God designed it that way. And I think when we as a, uh, when we think about the church being a body, and every member filling its own role. There are some parts of the body that just work. They just do. You don't even have to think about it. You don't have to say anything to it. You don't have to think about it. It just kind of follows its role. And when we do that as a church body, man, what a blessing that, that can be. So here in First uh, uh, Peter chapter 2, uh, again, after going through a very doctrinally laid out, talking about salvation and how we're rede- not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold and uh, that... Uh, that we're born again, verse 23 of chapter 1, being born again, not of a corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible, uh, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass. 
whew, what's really glorifying to all of us, isn't it? All flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. So he's not praising us in our flesh. Our flesh is grass. All the glory of the, of the flesh is like the flower. It fades away. Wherefore, seeing that we're just grass, right? Seeing that we're just going to fade away and be burned up and these old bodies are going to be gone one of these days. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted the Lord is gracious." Have, have any of y'all tasted that the Lord's gracious in, in your life? Has God been good to you? If God's been good to you, he says, man, you ought to hunger after the things of God's word like a little babe hungers after milk. To, who, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. A holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So if he's our cornerstone, if he's our living stone, uh, he says you're also to be lively stones and you're to build up a spiritual house. I thought I was building up a natural house. Most of us are so busy worried about building our natural houses that we forget to build our spiritual house. And holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. Again, he, he leans back to those Old Testament examples that we're not to be offering bulls and cow, you know, the, the bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer or the a sacrifice of a lamb. We're to offer spiritual sacrifices unto God. Acceptable God by Jesus Christ, wherefore also is contained in scriptures, Behold, I lay in sign. A chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious, but unto them which, dis, which are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed." We're your chosen generation, a holy priesthood, and all those things. He tells us here. Those that, dis that are disobedient, they don't, they don't see that Jesus Christ is precious. Uh, they don't see that he's something to build your life upon. They don't see that he's the beginning spot for you building up a spiritual house in your life. In fact, so many people today, we don't have to look very far in the world that we live in to see people are not interested in a spiritual house. People are not interested in having a temple of God uh, that's, uh, that's a part of their life. It's a, the, and becoming a holy priesthood, making spiritual sacrifices. People are no longer interested in that kind of thing. They're more interested in all the things of this world and the carnal things of life. And uh, I want us as a church to say, that's not going to be us. That's not God's vision for the church. God's vision for the church is that we build up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices. And, I, and one of the things that I've come to see out of this studying this whole thing a little bit, one is the unity of the church. One is the fact that if, if our church is being what it should be, and if we're being what we should be, being, being a part of this body and being hearing the gospel here will change your life. It will change you. 
It's not going to save you for heaven's fair world, but it'll change you while you live here. It'll make you a different person. It'll make you a better person. And uh, you'll find a closer walk with God, and it'll give a peace and a comfort and a joy to your life like nothing else. And so for us, the question we got, one of the questions I want us to ask ourselves as we're going through and talking about what's God's vision for the church is, is the gospel changing me? I can look around sometimes and make it real easy for me to say, well, it's not changing that person over there. <laughs> but I don't want you doing that. I want you to look and see, is it changing me? Am I different? If it is, then may we continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of him. May God bless you.